Our Father, we thank you that you are a refuge, a fortress that we can run to. We also know that you're a consuming fire who is passionate about your glory, but we also thank you that you're passionate for your people and that you pursue us with your love and with your grace and with great patience, yet you also call us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you. And we confess that it is challenging at times, Lord, to keep those eyes of ours fixed on you because there are so many other things in this world that vie for our attention and our hearts are prone to wander. But Lord, I pray that in our time together this morning that you will convict us as we need convicting and that you will also encourage us and challenge us so that we will follow you more faithfully. We thank you for your great love for us this morning, Lord, and throughout our lives. And may we, in our time together now and as we leave this place in a little while, grow in our faithfulness to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday morning, I had a meeting down in Grafton, and after the meeting, I went out to my car in the parking lot, and there was a special surprise waiting for me in the car from my family. On the steering wheel of the car were taped three notes, one from each child, and then a third note from my wife. And in addition, in the driver's seat was a bag of peanut butter cups. And so this is a very encouraging surprise. And, and, you know, I like the peanut butter cups a lot, but the notes meant even more to me. But I am still enjoying the peanut butter cups as well. But the notes, uh, let's go back to the notes for a minute, because the notes, they were all unique uh, based on who they came from. My daughter, she's almost four years old. Her note was this abstract drawing of she and I. She clarified it for me when I got home. Um, but, but, you know, that's kind of special. My wife's note was very special, just kind of the typical note, or a very nice note, really, you get from a caring wife. But it's my son's note that really melted my heart. Let me read you what this note says. It says, I love you, Dad. You are the best dad ever. From Micaiah, one thirty sixteen. You know, he's in that phase where he likes to write the date on everything right now. But, you know, these words, I love you, they are some of the most powerful words in the entire world. And, you know, like, like I said, this melted my heart because especially coming from Micaiah, this is especially powerful because, you know, Micaiah's relationship with me has not always been the greatest. He's been for quite a while dealing with some challenges related to early childhood trauma before he came into our family. And a big part of the result of this is that he really struggled to relate to me as his father. For a long time, he really struggled to give or to receive affirmation or affection in his relationship with me. But thankfully, we've had a significant breakthrough in the last few months. And so things like this, just, you know, simply saying I love you and so much more than this, it's so encouraging to me as a father. Now you think about the relationship between parents and children. and That relationship is to be one of love, one of closeness. And when there is not the love and closeness, it can be hard for everyone who is involved. Now, when we look at Scripture, we see that God is described as a heavenly father. And this is very, very good news because regardless of the type of earthly parents that we have, we have the confidence that God is a father who will always be faithful to us and who will always love us. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that our relationship with God is always going to be perfect. 
There will be times when it might be struggling. And for some people, their relationship with God is broken or it might even be non-existent. But in these times where the relationship with God is struggling or non-existent or broken, it's never God's fault. It's always us who has the issue. But thankfully, there is hope even still. And today we're talking about what do we do when we find that our relationship with God is struggling in some way or another. How do we get back to that point where we can authentically say, Father, I love you. You are the best father ever. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joel. We're going through Joel right now. Joel is a prophet who lived several hundred years before the time of Christ. And he was speaking to Israel at a time that they were going through significant challenges. First of all, in Joel chapter 1, we saw that there was this massive horde of locusts who came into the country and devastated the land. And we saw that this locust horde was not merely a natural disaster, but it was actually an act of God where God was trying to get their attention to wake them up, to bring them back to himself. And then last week we saw in chapter 2 that this locust horde was not the only avenue God was using to try to wake them up. He also sent a warning that if they didn't wake up and turn back to him, there was going to be this massive, devastating military invasion that would come upon them. And that is where we are picking up today. Uh, Joel chapter 2, picking up in verse 12. It says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his tent. And let the bride leave her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so this is the passage that we are looking at today. Uh, Again, the prophets contain a message that is oftentimes a bit uncomfortable. This passage really uh, contains a typical message that you hear from the prophets that we'll be getting into in a minute. But first of all, I just want to point out some of the basic structure of this passage. There are two speakers here. One of the speakers is God. We see that in verse 12. The other speaker is Joel, under the inspiration of God. But Joel is speaking in verses 13 and 17. It's kind of the form that you typically have in a sermon, where you have the reading of the Word of God. And that's kind of what you have in verse 12, the words directly from God. And then in the sermon, typically you have an explanation and an interpretation and application of what God's Word says. And that's essentially what Joel is giving in verses 13 through 17. So today we're specifically focusing in on verse 12 and then using the rest of the passage to illustrate and to apply what God says in verse 12. And the main idea that God is communicating is the importance of turning to Him wholeheartedly. Turn to God wholeheartedly. And he starts out here by saying, even now, return to me with all your heart. So this is the idea of repentance. The idea 
of repentance. The basic idea in repentance is that of turning. This last week, just a, a picture of repentance for me. This last week I was visiting a family from our congregation one evening, and it was in a neighborhood and in a house I'd never visited before. So I was going there, and somehow I must have misread the number out on the street for the house. And somehow my iPhone GPS misled me just slightly as well. Because I turned into a driveway, and I thought, okay, this is a little bit strange. There's only one car here. There should be two, I think. There aren't any, ho- any lights on, on the outside of the house. But you know what? I think this is right. So I got out of the car, started walking up to the front of the house. Then looked, I still had this uneasy feeling, looked next door, and the lights are just kind of on really bright outside that house. So I thought, you know what? I'm, this might be the wrong house. So I repented. I went, got back in the car, drove back out of the driveway, went 20 yards down the street, and sure enough, I had misread the the number for the house. I went into that driveway. It was the right house. But that's what you do when you repent. You realize, you know what? I was doing something wrong. I was going the wrong direction. You turn, and you go back in the direction you should go. That is what repenting is. And repenting, we have to understand, is not something that we only do once. It's not something we do just on a sporadic basis. It's not like, well, back when I was 18 years old, I understood I was a sinner in need of a Savior, so I repented. You know what? That is important. But hopefully repentance is more in your life than just that. And it's more than just saying, well, you know, three weeks ago when I lost my temper, I repented then. And, you know, on Thursday when I said a swear word in the Bible study, I repented then. And you know what? Those are times to repent, but hopefully repentance is a lot more than that as well. I think of the words of Martin Luther. Uh, he was a reformer back in the 1500s. He, he really helped launch the Protestant Reformation uh, when he nailed what's known as the 95 Theses to a door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. And these 95 Theses were just 95 propositions that he wanted to see changed in the way the church was doing things. And the first proposition in the 95 Theses says this. He writes, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. The entire life, a moment-by-moment activity in our lives is one of repentance. It's not just something one time. It's not just sporadic. It's on a regular, ongoing basis in our lives. An intentional effort of aligning and realigning ourselves to God and his ways. And the problem for ancient Israel here is that repentance was not a part of their ongoing lifestyle. I mean, sure, they had a lot of religious activities going on, but that doesn't mean there's repentance going on. I mean, for us, we can be involved in all kinds of religious activities. We can go to church on a regular basis. We can sing on Sunday mornings. We can go to Bible studies. We can even pray on a regular basis on our own. We can read the Bibles. But that doesn't mean that there is a lifestyle of repentance. And the problem for the Israelites is that because they had gotten out of this lifestyle of repentance individually and really as a whole nation, that they had allowed sin in their lives to pile up to such a degree that they had strayed so far from God and from his ways that they were in dire need of a huge dose of repentance. And that is why God was sending these warnings to them over and over and over. And he says, even now, return to me with all your heart. This points to the importance of wholehearted devotion 
in our relationship with God. This wholehearted devotion is a theme throughout Scripture. I think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which really contains the central verses of ancient Judaism. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, all your soul and with all your strength. The, the Israelites knew this as the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means hear. So it's the first word of the verse, hear. It was the Shema, and they would repeat the Shema multiple times a day. It was ingrained in their minds from the earliest of ages. You fast forward many centuries. When Jesus was asked in his ministry, Matthew 22, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of them all? He quoted the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And so we see that throughout Scripture, there is this call to love God wholeheartedly with everything that we have. And, and this passion for loving God wholeheartedly is clear here in verse 13 of Joel 2, when it says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart not your garments. This is a reference to a practice back in ancient Israel that when someone felt significant grief or anguish or sorrow or they got really, really bad news, they would symbolize that grief by grabbing a hold of their clothing and ripping it. Now, in our 21st century cultural context, I don't really understand that. It's not something I have a tendency to do. I value my clothing. I don't like shopping. I don't want to mess this clothing up. I wear it till it is completely falling apart, and I usually keep wearing it even still. If you see the jeans I wear at home, that's what it's like. I'm not a fan of ripping clothing, but that's what they did. That's their cultural context, that they would rip their clothing when they felt anguished. And God is saying through the prophet Joel, you know what? Don't only rip your garments here out of anguish. Rend your hearts. Let this break your heart. Let this grief over your sins seep that deep into your lives. Now, I think it's kind of funny that uh, there's this, this traditional thing that parents sometimes do that when their kids say a bad word, what do they do? They take soap, wash out their mouth. I don't know if that's done much anymore, but it's kind of ironic that when parents are doing that, they're, they're doing something that's just addressing the superficial problem. Because the superficial problem is what's coming out of the mouth. The real problem is what's in the heart. So really what the kids need is not just a washing out of the mouth, but they need their heart to be cleansed. Because Jesus said, Matthew chapter 12, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Any type of sin that we have in our lives, even if it's manifested outwardly in our words or our actions... It ultimately originates in the heart. So we need a clean heart. And, and so when we come to this topic of repentance and turning back to God, we have to let the conviction of our sin seep down into our hearts. And the seriousness of the sin is seen in the rest of this passage. In the second half of verse 12, uh, God is saying, Return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. These are activities that are done in a time of grieving when someone has lost a loved one. God is saying that's how serious this is. You have the same type of attitude you would have as if you lost, lost a very close family member or friend. Grieve you know, over your sin. And we see the same thing later in the passage when Joel says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a holy assembly. 
Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep. So this is a picture of the community coming together and mourning and grieving and repenting as a whole people. This is what Joel and God are calling them to. Now the image here that captures my attention the most is at the end of verse 16 when it says, Let the bridegroom leave his, cha- his room and the bride her chamber. This is talking about a bride and groom on their wedding night. I mean, they are in separate places. Room and chamber, they're just synonyms for the same place. They're in this very special room on their wedding night consummating their marriage. You know, it's a very intimate and special time. But Joel is even saying, you know what, even these newlyweds, they should put that priority aside to come out here and to grieve over their sin, grieve the sin over the sin of Israel, repent, and turn back to God. That is how serious this is. Now I want to step back for a minute and take a, a look at the bigger picture of what's been going on in the book of Joel, really looking at what could be called an anatomy of spiritual transformation. And this is important. Because if we really want to love God, really want to come to that point where we can truly say, God, you are an amazing God. You are the best father in the entire universe. If we really really want to come to that point in our lives, we need to live out this anatomy of spiritual transformation that is pictured here in the book of Joel. And here's what it is. It's a progression. First of all, it starts with an awareness of sin. We see this uh, throughout these first chapters of Joel. We saw it in the beginning where God's trying to raise an awareness of sin by sending the locusts. And he's trying to wake them up in the beginning of chapter 2 by sending a warning about an impending military invasion. You know, we, we humans, we tend to ignore sin and we try to downplay it. We at times need things to wake us up, to give us an increasing awareness of the sin in our lives. And so that's the first step. Of, of spiritual transformation is being aware of the sin, being aware of those things that pull us away from God. But the next step is having sorrow over the sin. And we see reference to the sorrow many times here in these passages. I mean, the call to, to weep, to warn, to, to wail, to, to, to put on sackcloth, to pray to God, to rend your heart. To, I mean, that's the tearing of your heart. Let it break your heart. It's the sorrow over sin. And after that comes repentance, where you're actually turning back to God. And this morning, I was uh, just kind of looking through this whole message, just looking at this whole process of of these three parts of the anatomy of spiritual transformation. And I realized, you know what? That's aha. If you remember back to the series a few weeks or a few months ago, our aha series on the parable of the prodigal son, aha stands for awakening, honesty, and action. That's exactly what's going on right here, where you have the awakening is the awareness of sin. You're awakened to the sin in your life. You have the honesty where you have the sorrow over the sin. You're being honest about it, and it sinks into your heart. And then the repentance is the action of turning away from that sin, turning back to God. Now, as we saw in the AHA series, as we can imagine in our lives, there are short circuits all over the process here. But I specifically want to call attention to how we oftentimes get short-circuited in spiritual transformation because we are not very sorrowful over sin in our lives. We just aren't. We struggle with that. And we might recognize it, but we like to get over as quickly as possible, kind of downplay it. And we might be sorrowful over the results of our sin, 
They actually have grieving over the sin itself and how it grieves God's heart and how it mars our relationship with him. We sometimes don't have that type of grief. And it's hard to teach this. It's hard to live it out. I think of my children again. And, you know, as parents, we're trying to teach them all kinds of things. One of the hardest things to teach them is to repent, to, to ask for forgiveness, to apologize. I mean, I could share stories from every single day over the last few months about trying to get our children to apologize. Because, you know what, every day they're doing things to each other or to us or to other people where they need to apologize and repent. And, I mean, here's how it frequently goes. I mean, you have Tehila, my nearly four-year-old daughter, and she does something that hurts her brother. And, and we try to get her attention. Tila, you need to apologize to him. So what's she doing? She's running to a different room. Apologize! That's, that's her form of apology. While she's running, she's yelling, apologize. That's all. And so we, we get her, bring her back. Last night, I'm in the basement playing with him. She does something that hurts him. I'm, I'm trying to help her understand. You need to, to apologize, to repent, to ask for forgiveness. And, and, I mean, there's a whole sequence that we go through with that, including, I mean, praying uh, to God, asking him for forgiveness, stuff like that. But, I mean, she's sitting there. At first, she's laughing after she hurts him. And I'd say, you need to apologize. She's laughing. And I say, no, no I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, and you need to take this seriously. And so then she starts, wah, wah, wah. I'm like, that's a fake cry. And then she starts laughing again. And then she, wah, wah, wah. And that, this is what it's like. But we don't outgrow this when we grow up. I mean, oftentimes as adults, we still struggle to have sorrow over our sin. Like I said, we have sorrow over the consequences. We get embarrassed when we're found out in a sin. We, we, we don't like it when we stick our foot in our mouths. We don't like it when uh, there are practical consequences, when we lose privileges, when people don't trust us as much. We don't like those things, but we struggle to really grieve over sin itself. Now, there is a fourth step in this anatomy of spiritual transformation. It's not necessarily here in these passages, but I want to point it out, and it's the importance after awareness of sin, sorrow over sin, and repentance, then it's following Jesus. It's that daily walk with him. And, you know, the first three steps in that process are a continual thing in our lives as well. But following Jesus... He said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. This following him is the daily process of just prioritizing him in our lives. But it does require an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. Now, I want to clarify something about repentance here. Uh, some people, when they look at repentance, they view repentance as just a way of, of saying, God, I'm really, 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 really sorry here. And we think that if we are sorry enough, then God will forgive us. We basically earn God's favor. We earn grace by being really, really, really sorry. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance uh, really um, is, is only possible through God's grace. It's not something that we earn. Here in verse 13, it says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents in sin and calamity. This, these phrases, he's, he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is repeated throughout the Old Testament. We have to understand that God's grace is the only thing that makes re restoration with him possible through repentance. It's only by God's grace. Because you know what? We could say I'm sorry to God as much as we want. And we could literally fully mean it. But if God is not willing to take us back, 
there's not going to be restoration or reconciliation. So repentance depends on the grace of God that he extends to us. It really depends on the grace of God. Um, I think about the cross. I mean, the cross is where we see the grace of God. I've said many times that if you ever doubt God's love for you, just look at the cross. Because, yeah, you may look at your circumstances and be wondering, God, why am I going through this right now? But look at the cross. That is a continual reminder for us of God's great love for us. But the cross is also a reminder of God's justice, God's holiness, and God's wrath. Because why did Jesus go to the cross? It was to satisfy the payment for our sins, to satisfy justice, to absorb the wrath that we deserve for our sins. So this shows this multifaceted nature of God. That it can, he cannot be watered down to just mercy and love. But he's also holiness, justice, and wrath against sin. And we see that here in this passage. I mean, verse 11 from last week, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. I mean, he's threatening this military invasion that he is orchestrating. Then the very next verse, even now, though, return to me with all your heart. So he invites us to come back to him. I mean, we have to take this seriously because he is a God of holiness, justice, and wrath, but he also offers us grace. And so what repentance is, is this opportunity to have a restored relationship with him. And one of the things that the gospel enables us to do through repentance is to really have that restored relationship, be made new, experience his love in fresh ways. And as we experience his love, then we will be less inclined to seek out other less legitimate things for our sense of well-being, security, identity. Because that's why we seek out sin in our lives so frequently. That's why we may lie to cover ourselves up because we're ashamed. We don't want to be found out. But we don't have to cover anything up if we know that we already have the approval of God. I mean, why do people seek um, self-soothing things through alcohol or through porn? It's because they have a hole in their heart in some manner or another that only God can fill. I mean, every sin can be traced back to something in our heart that God wants to fill, but we're seeking fulfillment in some illegitimate way. What repentance does is bring us back to God. Now, I look at my relationship with Micaiah, and I mean, what was the, the transforming thing that really helped restore things there? And there were any number of different things, including prayer. We had a lot of people praying for us. Um, but one of the other things I look at is swimming lessons. Our therapist recommended that Micaiah and I do parent-child swimming lessons where I'm in the water with him. And this is a great way for him to learn to trust me, where he has to trust me. I mean, he's liked swimming for a long time, but he always swims with a life jacket on. Or with floaties on. But in swimming lessons, he doesn't have that on. He has to depend on me. You have skin-to-skin contact. And you know what? He went kicking and screaming and crying to that first swimming lesson. And when he found out that it was only me going, he did not want to go. He was pushed out of his comfort zone. He, was, he did not like it at all. He was mad at me. But then about halfway through that first swimming lesson, I saw something begin to, begin to click in his mind. It was kind of like there's a turning in his mind where he realized, you know what, this is kind of nice. And then by the end, I mean, we're sitting there driving home, and and he said, Dad, I'm really glad we came. And that was right around that time that the the renewal in our relationship began. 
And this is what oftentimes happens in our lives, that we go kicking and screaming into something, that we don't like something that's going on in our life. Maybe we don't like some sin being revealed, but we have to have that turning point where we turn back to our Heavenly Father and say, God, yeah, I know I didn't like that for a while. I know it wasn't comfortable at all, but I needed that. And that in the process, through repentance, through dealing with our sin, through following Him more and more faithfully, we will grow to that point where we say, God, I love you. God, you are what I desire. Sin, all those other things, those things are losing their luster in my mind because knowing you is so great. So my prayer for us is that we will be men and women who grow and saying, you know what, Father, we love you. You are the best Father ever. Let's pray. Our Father, you are the best Father ever. And we do confess that we so often stray from you. But I pray that you will be at work in our lives and our hearts to renew us. To convict us of our sin. To give us a sorrow over sin in our life. To help, um, help us see the bankrupt nature of the sin that we look to for, for, for a sense of validation and approval and hope. Lord, there are so many things, and sometimes it's even uh, socially accepted things, like pride or materialism or things like that. Lord, those things call for our attention, but they cannot fulfill us either. May we turn to Jesus, follow him faithfully through a daily lifestyle of repentance, and in doing so, experience the fullness of your love and grow in our love for you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.